0: Welcome to the Gateway.Live podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray that God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com. Now, let's tune in.
1: If you've got a Bible, I want you to turn to two spots. Open up to Matthew chapter 6 and put a marker in Psalm 139. Open up to Matthew chapter 6, my favorite chapter in the Bible, and put a marker in Psalm 139. This weekend we are finishing our series entitled, In This House, we've been going over our values as a church. And this message, this value, is my favorite of all of the values because this is really kind of a life message for me. This is something uh, that my life is built around and upon and so it makes sense that our church would be built around this, and our church would be built upon it. We're talking about romance, intimacy with God, and the title of this message is, we're not settling, and that's a strong word, but it's the right word, we're not settling for religion, we're going for romance. And you may think it's weird to use the word romance and connect it to God, but by the end of the message, you'll see not only is it not weird, it is completely normal, completely normal. I'm going to give you a lot of scriptures. There are a lot of one-liners. I've got nine pages of notes, so we're going to get out at like 1.30 today, but just hang with me, all right? When, when the new service comes in, just move over, make room for them, and we'll just keep going, all right? First Chronicles chapter 28, I want to read you one verse, it, and, and I'll give you the backdrop. King David is coming to the end of his life. And he is imparting some things to his son, Solomon, who happens to be one of my favorite people in Scripture. Don't you dare think that the reason Solomon is one of my favorite people in Scripture is because he had like nine million wives and concubines. That has nothing to do with why I love Solomon. I love Solomon for many, many reasons, but one of the reasons is some of the things that were imparted to him by his father, David. And at the end of David's life, David is trying to pour into his son. Now think about this, if you were at the end of your life and you knew you were running out of time to share the wisdom that you have gained on this earth with one of your children, what would you say? What would you tell them that you would hope they would remember for the rest of their lives? David is in this situation and in one verse he sets up our entire message and helps us understand the importance of this value of romance, intimacy with God. He says this, and Solomon my son, learn to know the God of your ancestors intellectually. Is that what it says? No, he does not say learn to know the God of your ancestors intellectually. He says learn to know God intimately worship and serve him with your whole heart and a willing mind. Now, I'm gonna give you a statement that's designed to test you a little bit, to see whether or not you look at God through a religious lens or through a romantic lens. And here's the statement. The Bible is a book for lovers. The Bible is a book for for lovers. Now, if you're weirded out by that statement, if you feel a little uncomfortable by that statement, if you disagree with that statement, I'd bet everything to my name that you view God through a religious lens, not a romantic lens. Now, think about this. Jesus is asked, boil it down for me. Boil this whole book down to one thing. And in Luke chapter 10, Jesus responds and he says, no problem. I'll boil the whole book down for you. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. Love him completely with all of yourself. Now, let me ask you this. Is it normal for people in business to read business books? That's normal, right? Okay, it's just as normal for lovers to read a book that has been written by the God who is love. The Bible is a book for lovers. Now, years ago, the Lord gave me a a picture. He helped me understand that I was created not for an intellectual relationship with God, but for an intimate relationship with God. And this is gonna test some of your maturity, all right? I remember one morning I was spending my time with the Lord, and I felt the Lord say, Preston, what's the last thing you typically hear your wife say just before the two of you go into your bedroom to experience the most physically intimate act I have given the two of you to experience on this earth? And you know how sometimes when God asks you questions, if he catches you in an honorary mood, like it, it could be a really interesting conversation, you know? Well, I was a little bit ornery, and, and I started thinking, well, what, what is the last thing that I, that I hear? I mean, is it, hey, we've got time. <laughs> no, that's not it. The last thing I usually hear my wife say before we go to experience the most physically intimate act that we experience together, that God's given us to experience together on this earth, is this. Hey, babe, can you shut the door? And usually she says, and lock it. (laughs) Now why does she say that? It's pretty obvious, because we have three children who think they own our house. (laughs) I don't understand why. We pay the bills, yet they think they own that place. My bedroom is usually not mine, it's theirs. My two sons, 12 and 11, still sleep in our bed from time to time. And when they were younger, they used to kick me in the face in this season of life, I'm now paying them back, kicking them in the face, trying to send a message to say, this is my bed, get out. My daughter uses my bathroom more than I do, all right? They think they own the house. Therefore, just before my wife and I go to experience intimacy, she says, hey baby, can you, can you shut the door? Because what's about to happen on this side of the door is so special. And so raw and so intimate that not even my own flesh and blood is allowed to be a part of this moment. Well, as I was responding to the Lord saying, well, God, if you you really wanted to know, I mean, the last thing she says is shut the door. I felt the Lord say, that's right. Grab your Bible and go to Matthew 6. So I did, and I want to read you what he showed me. I've never seen it before. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. Jesus is teaching us how to pray, and he says, When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth. That is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself. Watch this next part. And shut the door behind you and pray to your Father in private and that morning when I was alone with the Lord as soon as I read that I felt him say Preston do you do you understand that when you come into this special room I have a room in my house that's just for him and me when you come into this room the very first thing you should hear me say every time is hey son Can you shut the door real quick? Because what's about to happen on this side of the door is so special and so raw and so intimate that not even your own flesh and blood can be a part of this special moment. I want this to be just you and me. I wonder how many of us actually shut the door behind us when we go in to be alone with the Lord. Now, the points in this message are designed to help you answer one question. How can I have a romantic or intimate relationship with God? And before I give you the points, let me give you a definition God gave me years ago for romance. Romance is the art of unpredictable pursuit. Romance is the art of unpredictable pursuit, all right? so here's the first answer to the question how can I have a romantic or intimate relationship with God here's the first answer point number one you need to be consistent in order to have a romantic intimate relationship with God you're going to need to be consistent when it comes to intimacy consistency is a necessity but if you're going to be more consistent in your relationship with God you're gonna need to really do two main things, and the first one's not gonna shock you. Here's the first thing that you've got to do if you're gonna have a more consistent relationship with the Lord. Fix your frequency. Luke chapter nine, verse 23. Then Jesus said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily. I think too many of us omit that word from this verse. Take up your cross daily and follow me. I love that he throws the word daily in there. Here's why. Intimate fellowship is built upon daily friendship. Daily. We need to be communing with him. That's the frequency we were created for. Now, look back at Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Jesus is saying, when you pray, pray along these lines. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today. Give us this day. Give us today the food we need. Now, this is brilliant. This is brilliant that when Jesus is teaching us about being alone with God, Not just about literal prayer, but our alone time with God. It's brilliant that Jesus connects it to our physical appetite. Think about this for a moment. How long can you go without eating? Some of you can't even skip breakfast before you get all hangry. You get frustrated if you don't pop something into your mouth every couple hours. There's this this new thing out there called intermittent fasting let me help you understand what it is it basically is the idea that you can trick your metabolism if you eat at certain times and then do not eat for about 14 to 16 hours every day okay let me the person who came up with this idea uh, his name is Satan (laughs) no offense to whoever it was that came up with this but get thee behind me devil I I am not, do not tell me I can't have an Oreo from time to time. Some of you get so hangry when you go just a couple of hours. Jesus is saying, listen, in the same way that your body was created to run on a rhythm related to your appetite, so is your spirit. You need to be communing consistently with your heavenly father. Now... It's gonna be tough for you to make the case that you have given your life to God when you struggle so often to give your day to God. If you wanna know what God can do with your everyday life, start giving him each and every day of your life. Watch how he responds. But too many of us, as it relates to time alone with the Lord, have adopted this intermittent fasting routine, where we go as long as we can until we just have to do something. If we're going to have an intimate relationship with God, we're going to have to be more consistent, and that involves the frequency with which we are with him. I get asked all the time, how can I hear God's voice more clearly? The answer is really simple. The easiest way to turn up the volume of his frequency is to get alone with him more frequently. It's not rocket science. Intimacy with God requires consistency from us. Here's the second thing that we have to do to be more consistent in our relationship with God. Work on our want to. You've got to work on your want to. When I'm with other senior pastors and and they know kind of how we do things as a church, Many of them are intrigued by the fact that we don't pass the plate and never have. And I'll get asked the question from time to time, and I still haven't decided if this is a good question to ask, but nonetheless, I'll get asked this a lot by other senior pastors. Preston, do you think that your church's offerings would be higher if you passed the plate? And And here's my answer. No, I really don't. I don't. Think about it like that, and that's not why we do it. And then I help them understand why we don't pass the plate here. It's very simple. The Bible does not say, let me tell you the kind of giver God loves. God loves only the biggest giver. God loves a big giver. Does the Bible say that? The Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. In other words, he's speaking to your want. what is the best way just using this as an example to show God that I want to put him first in my finances it's to do so without being compelled or manipulated to do that very thing giving is an act of worship think about this nothing is less romantic than doing something and your only motivation for doing so is you feel like you have to there is nothing pretty about that No matter what we're talking about, if the only reason you're doing what you're doing is you feel like you have to, that is not romantic. That is religious. Now, how can you know or how can you be assured that your want to is being strengthened consistently? Well, I would say this, that when you want him more than anyone else today than you did yesterday, And Job, Job says this, chapter 23, verse 12, I've not departed from his commands, but I've treasured his words more than daily food. Psalm 63, David says, listen, your unfailing love is better than life itself. That's a strong want to. What exactly does a strong want to sound like? I'll tell you. Desperation. A strong want to sounds like desperation. Psalm chapter 51, verse 10, David says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right or loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence. And whatever you do, God, please do not take your Holy Spirit away from me. That's desperate. That's a strong want to. I have a question for you as it relates to your personal relationship with God, do you sound more like a desperate lover or a dignified learner? You see, romance always sounds like a desperate lover whereas religion typically sounds like a dignified learner. How often do you sound like a desperate lover to God? One who cannot live without him. The more desperate you are to be with him, the more consistently you will abide with him. That leads us to point number two. If we're going to have a romantic relationship with God, you're going to have to be unpredictable. You cannot be predictable if you're going to have a romantic relationship with God. One of my favorite one-liners of this message is this, unpredictability is the rocket fuel romance runs on. What if on date night every week, I put on the same outfit, went to the same restaurant with my wife, asked the same questions, ordered the same thing, some of you are like, this is date night every week. How long would it take for my wife to start checking out mentally and emotionally on date night? It's not gonna take very long, why? Because when you know how the movie ends, you don't finish the movie. This is why I hate Hallmark movies. (laughs) Because in the first eight minutes of every single Hallmark movie, I can tell you how it's gonna end. And it's not because I'm brilliant, it's because they're all the same. And I promise, I think I've seen every single one of them. They're either about Christmas, a small town, or a big city, that's it. (laughs) When my 10 year old can tell you how the Hallmark movie's gonna end, there's a problem. For some reason, people still keep tuning in in large numbers, but for most of us, we hate predictability. We hate predictability. Why? Because it's not romantic. When you know how the date's going to end, eventually you start checking out, even caring what's around the corner. But one of the best parts about relationship with God is he is unpredictable. You never know what he's going to do. You never know what he's going to say. That's part of the fun. But see, some of us Oh, I gotta give you this one-liner before I I move to this part, why many of us have such a boring relationship with God. This is probably my second favorite one-liner in this message. When your relationship with God becomes boring and repetitive, there's another way to say that. Your daily bread has mold on it. How many of you enjoy eating moldy bread? My children... When they see the tiniest spot of green on the bread, it's like, daddy, we got to sell this house. We got to get out of here, daddy. The mold is taking over. It's just a little bit of mold, but a little bit of mold can turn into a lot of mold really quickly. I wonder how many of us have really moldy daily bread. Now. There is a reason, in my opinion, why so many believers have such a boring and repetitive relationship with God. Because their theology of God is boring. They take a couple of verses and they, they create a theology, a personal theology that is incorrect about God and their personal relationship with God. They take verses like Malachi chapter 3, verse 16, where God says, I am the Lord and I do not change verses like James chapter 1 verse 17 whatever is good and perfect comes down to us from God our father who created all the lights in the heavens he never changes or casts a shifting shadow too many believers think well God never changes which means the way he communicates with me is never going to change so they start checking out mentally and emotionally because they're convinced uh I've heard what he said. He pretty much says the same thing every time. Listen, here's what I've learned in my relationship with God. The only time God repeatedly says the same thing over and over again is when I have refused to learn what he's trying to teach me. Every other time, he is constantly saying new things. Now, I want to give you two passages of Scripture that relate to this boring, repetitive, conversational relationship with God. One passage is about God saying, I don't want you to communicate with me in a boring, repetitive manner. The other passage is God saying, listen, I promise you, I'm not going to communicate to you in a boring, repetitive manner. Here's the first passage. If you're in Matthew six, you can read it. We skipped over these two verses. Matthew six, verse seven. Jesus says, when you pray, don't babble on and on and on and on as people of other religions do. They actually think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. And I love what he says next. Don't be like them. Don't be like people who just come into my presence, turn off their brains, and just say the same thing over and over and over again. What is Jesus saying? about our our conversation, our private conversations with God. Here's what he's saying. When you come into the presence of God alone to be with him, mix it up. Mix it up. Don't say the same things over and over again. When you come into God's presence by yourself to be alone with him, and you're trying to say, I love you, find a new way to say it. Challenge yourself every day of your life to find a new way to tell God just how obsessed with him you are. Don't just mail it in and say the same thing you've always said. Jesus is saying, hey, mix it up. Don't have a boring, repetitive relationship with the God of the universe. Incidentally, that is not the relationship Jesus died to give you with the Father. That's why he's talking about it. Let me show you the other passage, the other side of the coin. It's in Lamentations, and you know when a preacher uses the book of Lamentations, this is a legendary message when you can work in Lamentations. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22, The steadfast love of the Lord never, ever, 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 ever ceases. His mercies never come to an end. His mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. This word for mercies here is the word rahameh. And it literally means loving sensation, very tender affection. You know what God's saying here? Press in while you sleep every night of your life. I am crafting new ways to tell you just how much I love you. Every morning you wake up, my mercies are new. My tender, loving affection for you is brand new. God is saying to you, I promise you, my desire is not to have a boring, repetitive relationship with you. I'm going to mix it up every day of your life because that's what romance is. It's unpredictable. That leads us to point number three. If you're going to have a romantic, intimate relationship with God, you need to be the one to pursue. You be the one to pursue. Now, if you're gonna understand pursuit, you first have to understand proximity. So let me help you learn a few things about proximity because this is very misunderstood. Here's the first thing you have to understand about proximity, close doesn't always mean close. Many believers think because of one verse that God is always close and we never have to worry about intimacy with God. But close doesn't always mean close. Here's the verse and then I'll explain it. Hebrews chapter 13 verse five, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have for he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. God says, I'll never ever leave you or forsake you. In other words, many believers take this to mean God is always close and so I don't ever have to worry about closing the gap because he has. He's always close. But it's not until you understand close doesn't always mean close that you figure out pursuit is an important part of intimacy. I learned this lesson when I first got married. I was a fool, and I just thought close means close. When we fall asleep at night in this queen bed in this little apartment, we are always close because we are physically close. But then we got into our first big fight, and we got in the same bed, and I learned that while 24 inches of space between two people sounds like a small gap, there are some situations where it might as well be 10,000 miles between the two of you. That when she rolls over and she gives you that look after this fight and the look says this right here, don't you dare even think you can touch me right now because your arm is not long enough to bridge the divide between you and me emotionally right now. So I would, I would kind of just slide my foot over, you know? Like it was like a peace offering. <laughs> my foot touched her foot. Wow! <laughs> she turns into Chuck Norris. But we're so close, yet we're so far. Because close doesn't always mean close god can be close to me but that does not automatically mean that i am close to god intimacy doesn't happen by osmosis it happens through pursuit a relationship that has proximity without pursuit is inanimate not intimate here's the second thing if you're going to be a pursuer you got to understand proximity, which means this. You have to be the one to close the gap. When there's a gap between you and God relationally, you be the one to close the gap. Make that commitment. Now, the best way is to understand some of the things Scripture say. Understand God's perspective of us closing the gap. Passages like Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. James chapter 4 verse 8, come close to God, and God will come close to you. Is God playing games with us? Is he saying I'm going to engage you, Preston, in a divine game of hide and seek? Where if you don't come after me, I'm not going to be found by you. No, he's not playing a game with us. Here's what he's saying. Preston, I'm not going to do your part for you. The worst relationships are the relationships where one person carries all the weight of pursuit. Only intimate relationships experience intimacy due to pursuit and the reason they do so is because both people make a commitment to pursue the other. See many of us just wait for God to close the gap when intimacy romance says I'm going to close the gap. When there's distance between the two of us I'm not going to wait for you to come to me I'm coming to you. Now there's a verse I want to read you before we get to Psalm 139. I wanna talk about David because we started the message talking about him. There's a verse in scripture that intrigues me that I know you think you know what it means, but I'm gonna present a possibility of another meaning, not a replacing meaning, but another meaning. Acts chapter 13 verse 22 says of David, but God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. We interpret this passage to mean, God looked all over the earth and he found one man of whom he said, my man David, that guy has a heart like me. His heart is just like mine. And I know that's what this means. But I just wonder if God having all wisdom is even more clever than sometimes we give him credit for. I wonder if God isn't also saying, my man David, that guy is a man after my own heart. This guy is constantly chasing after my heart. He doesn't just have a heart like mine, he refuses to stop chasing my heart. He never leaves me alone. He's constantly pursuing me. And the million dollar question is, if that's true, why would David be someone who so passionately and consistently pursued God's heart? I think there's a reason. I think it's because David figured out just how obsessed God was with him. Flip over to Psalm 139. I'm gonna read you 12 verses and we'll be done. I think Psalm 139 was not just written real time. I think it's a recording of a very private conversation after David got a revelation about God's obsession for him. And listen to what it says. One of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture. David says, oh Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything there is to know about me. God, you know when I sit down. You know every time I stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away from you. You see me when I travel across the pond. You see me when I rest at home for 20 minutes. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and you follow me. That's obsession. You place your hand of blessing upon my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me to wrap my mind around, too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit, your obsession. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me. Your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night. But even in darkness, I can't hide from you. David figured it out. The God of the universe is obsessed with him. And he's trying to help you understand God is just as obsessed with you. He paints this picture of God walking up and down the streets of heaven showing people your kindergarten picture going, look how cute she is. He watches everything you do. You are his favorite show. He's so obsessed with you, he's determined to go before you and follow you from behind. When we say in this house, We are not settling for religion. We're going for romance. Here's what we're saying. We are determined in this family to wake up every morning of our lives, embracing the fact that the God of the universe is passionately obsessed with us. And we are going to spend every day of our lives responding with our own passionate obsession. No matter when God calls you to another church, when you leave Gateway Church, and that day will come at some point. When you leave here, if you don't have a more romantic relationship with God than you did when you first showed up, I want you to know something. I consider it a failure on my part. One of the biggest aspects of my job is to spend every weekend I am with you on the stage trying to beg you to understand that the God of the universe is so overwhelmingly obsessed with you. He's infatuated with you. And don't believe the lie of the enemy, that God wants a distant religious intellectual relationship with you. He wants a new mercies every morning, new tender loving affection between the two of you every morning of your life. And it is not only possible, it can be your reality. That is what Jesus died to give you, that kind of relationship. Don't settle. Pursue. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Matt's going to lead us in one more song and I'm, I'm gonna pray a prayer when I'm done praying this prayer. If you're here today you feel like you're just on a plateau personally with the Lord, I'm gonna ask you to do something kind of bold. Shatter the plateau. Shatter the plateau. When I'm done praying and everyone in this room stands to sing one more song of worship, I'm gonna invite our altar ministry team to come forward. And if you've been a plateau, a slow season, in your relationship with God, your personal relationship with God. When everyone stands, I don't want you to wait to see if anybody else goes. I want you to send a message of pursuit to the God who is so obsessed with you. And I want you to shove it in the enemy's face that you're not going to settle for moldy daily bread. Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would in this moment make it impossible to stay plateaued in our personal relationship with you any longer and for anyone desiring to shatter the plateau. God, I pray by your Holy Spirit, they would sense you grabbing not just their hand but their hearts and saying, come away with me. Come away with me. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Would you stand? As you stand, I want our altar ministry team to come forward. Matt's gonna lead us in one more song. If that's you, or you need prayer for anything at all, I want you to leave your seat and come pray with somebody. Do not wait, don't look around. This is not about their relationship with God, it's about you and your relationship with God. For the rest of us, can we just close our eyes and can we try just for a moment to wrap our minds around God's obsessive love for us and do our best to respond in kind with our own obsessive love. Let's worship together. And if you need prayer, do not wait. Come pray with somebody. Come on, let's worship.
0: Thoughts to find me God. Your thoughts to
1: Thanks for joining us on Gateway.Live. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at
0: www.gatewaylife.com.